0: This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Lord and Master, who loves mankind, illuminate our hearts with the pure light of your divine knowledge and open the eyes of our mind to understand the teachings of your holy scriptures. Instill in us also the fear of your blessed commandments, that we may overcome all carnal desires. Entering upon a spiritual life and understanding and acting in all things according to your holy will. For you are the enlightenment of our souls and bodies, O Christ God, and to you we give glory, together with your eternal Father and your all holy gracious and life giving Spirit, both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Welcome back to all of our participants here for the fourth Sunday in not so ordinary time. Welcome, Annie Mitchell hello father hezekiah it is good to see you again good it's good it's good to be seen <laughs> you know i was just happening picking up um a copy of a book that i have had on my shelf for some oh 20 years or so yeah that uh called the reform of the roman liturgy oh okay it's problems and its background written by monsignor Klaus gamber g-a-m-b-e-r in wow. the back of it of course is the um preface or a section of the preface which was written by by none other than the great pope benedict well it's the preface of the french edition so if you get the english edition the preface is written by somebody else but the french edition good old rat singer do you read french no but the back of the book has the in english the preface from the Uh, french edition why because it's cosmic it's great you know ben yeah. it's awesome anyways in this book why do i bring this up here on the fourth yeah. sunday in or so-called ordinary time is it as i was scanning through this book which i read many years ago and i was just going back and you know looking at a couple of, of points that the, that the author was making he has a critique of the modern lectionary cycle okay and i think it's um uh, well done so there you have it if you're into Question of the reform of the Roman liturgy as it is so called, or as someone call it, the destruction of the Roman liturgy. This is a, a really good book to get. I think it's it's excellent. Some people think Gambers a stinking liberal, huh. But but he's not, obviously. I mean no, he's, he's, he's,
1: wrote he's, the introduction to it.
0: So he's not. Here's the thing: is that in this book, he doesn't take the most radical approach to the to the situation that happened but he says look it's, it was a disaster and we need to go back and take a look and see what we can do about it he doesn't propose for example the absolute destruction of the nova sordo liturgy and the wholesale abandonment but he does say look and he basically he says what Ratzinger, and pope benedict ended up saying which was put them side by side the old traditional latin mass and the nova sordo and he says yeah, it won't be long before the Novus, Novus, Ordo, Novus Ordo disappears because, you know, but, but you know, a, a peaceful coexistence. see how God works it out. But anyways, if anybody's interested in that, but that's not our subject today because it is the fourth Sunday in Ordinary Time in the modern Novus Ordo calendar, as it is. Regardless of that, we're going to be looking at some biblical texts which predate the Novus Ordo calendar by just a couple of years. Just a few. Beginning with the prophet?
1: Yes, Zephyr. Zephaniah
0: Zephaniah now Annie Mitchell do not tell me the page number okay for our Bible study people out there that are leading Bible studies don't you ever dare give a page number to your students it doesn't work and if you got those stupid tabs in your Bible get rid of them because they're a crutch that you don't need Zephaniah how do you find Zephaniah you find and it, Haggai and go backwards you find the table of contents in your Bible and of course no, I'm kidding don't go to the table of contents just don't do it zephaniah where is it is zephaniah well-known do you know what zephaniah talked about do you hear zephaniah quoted like odd nauseum everywhere you go no the book of isaiah yeah jeremiah these are the big guys and they're big not only because they're important but because they got a lot to say they're big books in your bible most your bibles the progression of books of your Bible in the section of the prophets is according to the length of the prophet, for the most part, not always true, but for the most part. So you ask yourself, where is Haggai? Well, you know Haggai is going to be toward the end of your Old Testament because it's you know, Yeah, you don't see it. Right. It's going to be short. Zephaniah, the same thing. So just go over there toward the end. If you got Maccabees at the end of your Old Testament, just back up a little bit. And you're going to, you know, you got Micah back there and Amos and Habakkuk. And, and uh, there he is, Zephaniah. Look, that's what I just did. Zephaniah. Honestly, I've got it on my head. I can't remember if Zephaniah comes before Haggai or after Amos or Nahum. Nahum. And, we yeah. go over there and you're going to find him. Okay, here we are. So Zephaniah, give, give us a text, Andy. You never gave it to us.
1: I, yeah, that's right. Well, you started launching into finding Zephaniah. Oh, so sure. Blame I, it on me. Didn't give me a chance yet. Okay, <laughs> here we go. For the fourth Sunday in so-called ordinary time, we are reading for our first reading Zephaniah chapter two, verse three, and then we're skipping all the way to chapter three, verses 12 through 13, our responsorial psalm will be taken from Psalm 146. The gospel is Matthew chapter five, verses one through 12a. And the epistle is St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians chapter one, verses 26 through 31.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Sound good? Did everybody find Zephaniah by now?
0: You You gotta have Zephaniah by now. Zephaniah, not Zechariah, Zephaniah, Z-E-P-H-A-N-I-A-H, go, Zephaniah, what are we in, chapter two, verse three, starting with chapter chapter two, chapter three, verse 12, okay, fine.
1: yeah, all right, here we go, seek the Lord, all you humble of the earth who have observed his law, seek justice, seek humility, perhaps you may be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger, But I will leave as a remnant in your midst, a people humble and lowly, who shall take refuge in the name of the Lord, the remnant of Israel. They shall do no wrong and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouths a deceitful tongue. They shall pasture and couch their flocks with none to disturb them. The
0: word of the Lord. So, father every time you read it you sound like a like a lector at mass you know the word of the, okay the i just got to give you a hard time the lord well thank you
1: shouldn't That's i good. sound like a lector or i have to read the reading
0: you know can i speak to the lectors for a moment yeah this whole idea that you're supposed to speak with emphasis and to the people like a modern like a modern uh pre uh uh deliverer of a speech right so seek the lord all you humble of the earth no Are you the origin of the word of God? (laughs) No. Say the reading and be done with it, okay? It's not your job to be engaging the people with eye flutterings, okay? Sorry, that's a hobby horse. Let's get back to the text.
1: I mean, for what it's worth, I didn't lift my eyes up once to look at the camera.
0: All right. Okay. Okay. Anyway. Let's get into the text. Who
1: is Zephaniah?
0: I have no idea. (laughs) Just kidding okay zephaniah is a prophet he's preaching during in between the fall of the assyrian empire and i'm uh, uh, sorry he's preaching after the fall of the north and therefore the fall of the assyrians because remember after the north falls they march on jerusalem and hezekiah the great and holy king holds them back and god smites them the assyrians flee the north then is has a, a time of reconciliation the northern 10 tribes and so forth zephaniah is coming in during that time prior to the fall of jerusalem but after the fall of the north okay mm-hmm. okay it's not a bad idea by the way in your bible to take a pen and write there next to chapter next to the beginning of zephaniah something this is what i wrote pre-exilic
1: mm-hmm.
0: that's before the babylon exile and after the fall of the north so you're right in there, six twenty. Give or take, okay. So that there you have it. And he's going to come, and he's going to, in chapter one, verse one, the word of the Lord which came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah. That's not Hezekiah, the king, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. Okay. Hmm. Now, who's Josiah? Then again, knowing who Zephaniah is, you have to contextualize him. Go back in Second Kings chapter. 18 and you're going to see hezekiah right uh-huh. and, right and then you see chapter 19 chapter 20 hezekiah and then his son begins to reign in jerusalem there uh in chapter 20 verse 21 and hezekiah chapter 20 verse 21 hezekiah slept with his fathers and manasseh his son reigned in his se- stead manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem, his mother's name was Hephzibah, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and you can read about evil Manasseh, but then Manasseh ends up dying, okay, verse, sorry, 21, verse 18, and this is important, by the way, I'm getting into Josiah, so stick with it, and Manasseh slept with his fathers and was buried in the garden of the house of the garden of, of Uzzah. And Amon, his son, reigned in his stead. Verse 19, Amon was whatever, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, again in verse 21. And then coming down, verse 26, he was buried in the tomb of the garden of Uzzah, and Josiah, his son, reigned in his stead. There's Josiah. And what happens during the time of Josiah, chapter 22, you can read those verses there following. But basically, Josiah orders that the temple of, the, of God needs to be cleaned out because it's got cobwebs. He's like, "Come on, clean up the clean up the house of the Lord." They send some guys in there. They go in there, and what do they find? They, they they discover the law. They discover the scriptures, and they come back to Josiah, and they're like, "King, look, we found a book." I love that way they say that. We found a book in verse eight. We found a book of the law. Imagine and all of a sudden, that. Josiah. Josiah opens it and goes, <laughs> uh-oh, he rents his clothes and uh, and then begins the reform of Josiah. And look at chapter 23, verse 21. The king, that's Josiah, chapter 23, verse 21, commanded all the people to keep the Passover of the Lord your God as it is written in the book of the covenant. For no such Passover has been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel. What? That means that since since the time of the judges, when they first entered the promised land, that means King David, no, Solomon, no, nobody's keeping the Passover. Why? (laughs) They lost the law. I mean, the Jews didn't even know what to do with the temple. That's how bad it was. They weren't keeping Passover. So it's an indication of a major problem. Because if they're not keeping Passover, what are they not remembering, Annie? I'm going to put you to the test here. Okay? Mm -hmm. What problem... Passover is not just about fulfilling the law of doing Passover, but it's also for another purpose. And it is for
1: remembering the Exodus.
0: Remember what God did for them, right? In freeing them from slavery. Right. And how they were then to live as his people in his image and after his likeness, right? Which is why there were certain laws in the old Testament that forbids enslaving their brother. And should a, brother become enslaved or become a servant or indebted to another they were to honor the jubilee year and grant freedom to those who had become indebted to them every seven years and every 50 years okay but they didn't and so there's the problem right so the connection passover and jubilee is very important you can look at jeremiah chapter 34 we won't do it right now But at the time when the Babylonians, in a couple of years here, are going to march on Jerusalem, the fundamental problem that is revealed is that they are holding their brother in slavery, and it's a problem that had been happening for quite some time, and we remember that Solomon also had enslaved Joseph, the tribe of Joseph, in order to build the temple and build all the things, okay, so the situation was not good. You have a a ruling class and an enslaved people which is why the North had broken from from Jerusalem in the first place you remember Jeroboam and Rehoboam and the North breaks because they refused to to be under the the hard the heavy yoke of Rehoboam the son of Solomon well the same thing happens though in the South right so the North breaks away well they have to have slaves because this is the kind of people they are and so they've enslaved their brother and that's what's going on. In the time of Zephaniah, he's looking around and saying, there's a bunch of people here that are suffering under the oppression of the leadership of the king and his people. And why are they suffering? Because the king isn't actually following the law. Hmm. He's, not, he's not observing the Passover. He's not doing the things that are required for him to reflect upon his, re- his identity as a son of God, Right. And so the king ends up doing this thing. And so what's going to be the remedy? The remedy is going to be for those that turn to the Lord and actually live out the law of God. And ultimately, who's that going to be? It's going to be those that are enslaved or yearning for restoration. They're yearning for the day when a king will come, who will bring about the freedom, which God had given them in Egypt and make it true today. And that's going to lead us right into what Zephaniah is saying. But ultimately, as we've seen so many times, they're going to go into Babylonian exile, seventy years. You can take a look at Second Chronicles chapter thirty-six. I recommend you read over that right now. Hit pause, Second Chronicles thirty-six and Ezra chapter one. Then they're going to come back, but ultimately the problem is not going to be solved because if I look at Ezra and Nehemiah, we can turn there very quickly. All you Bible thumpers out there, uh, after Second Chronicles, we can look at. I think it's nehemiah yep chapter 9 nehemiah chapter 9 verse 36 nehemiah you know where nehemiah is first second first and kings first and chronicles ezra nehemiah nehemiah is one that returns from the babylonian exile and is involved in the restoration that was ordered by my king cyrus but here we are chapters behold that chapter 9 verse 36 behold we are slaves this day in the land that thou gave us to our fathers to enjoy its fruits and its good gifts behold we are slaves so the, the problem of slavery continues ultimately they're slaves who the persians and again again to the greeks again to the romans and then the coming of christ so seeing the whole thing in one picture realize that the the failure of god's people to observe the law detaches them from their identity as a child of God and therefore they start acting not like the Lord but acting like the evil one who enslaves us enslaved their brother and therefore they cannot live in the house of God they're exiled and ultimately that's what Jesus is going to come to resolve right so who is Zephaniah that's who Zephaniah is he's living in this context in this problem and he's saying look out because it can't continue what Hmm. you're doing
1: Okay, so then take us to the text itself and kind of just lay out for us, I mean, in terms of the book of Zephaniah, like what he's saying and, and where yeah. this fits in.
0: Well, let's go back to chapter one, verse, verse one, but really verse two. We can skip to verse two now because we did verse one. Zephaniah 1, 2, I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, says the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away birds of the air. The fish of the sea, I will overthrow the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, says the Lord. Sounds like the flood all over again, right? Yeah, I
1: was going to yeah. say.
0: And I will yeah. cut off from this place the remnant of Baal. Remember, Solomon had set up temple, uh, uh, right. right? High places. Remember? Not only not only that, but remember that we've been looking at Ahaz, Mm-hmm. Okay, and if my memory serves me correct, I'm going to flip back there, Second Kings chapter 16. If my memory serves, it does serve me correct. There it is. Ahaz ends up um uh, um setting up an altar in chapter 16, verse 11. He built an altar in accordance with the king of, in accordance with all King Ahaz had set up, had sent from Damascus, and so you can read it yourself. He sets up false altars, right, to the false gods. So there it is. In Zephaniah coming out in verse uh four, I will cut off from this place, Jerusalem, the remnant of all, and the name of the idolatrous priests, those who bow down on the roofs to the host of heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord, and yet swear to Milcom. So there it is. They're they're 2 two-faced, right? They're they're split hearts, they're they're worshiping Yahweh and they're worshiping Milcol and the, all these, and they're sacrificing the they're. Babies, and it's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Just absolutely. The situation's horrible. But here's Zephaniah is preaching against it. At verse 12. At that time I will search Jerusalem with lance. I will punish the men who are thickening upon their leaves, those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do, do ill, right? So God, eh, don't worry about it. Yahweh doesn't care what we're doing here, you know. And then and verse 14, the great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish. In other words, the Lord's going to come and he's going to judge his people. And you slave owners, you godless kings are going to die. Yeah, I mean, look, Zedekiah is going to get his eyes poked out and the last thing he's going to see is his two sons being killed and it's like the things that jerusalem's gonna burn to the ground okay at the end of second uh, second kings chapter 25 you can read that for yourself that's what's going on and we can look at this passage now seek the lord all you humble of the earth well who are the humble of the earth who have been humbled well it's the slaves where's your hope gonna be it's going to be in the lord because it's the only thing left all your other your leaders all this other thing it's not going to work it's not it hasn't worked seek justice seek humility perhaps you may be sheltered from what's coming but i will leave as a remnant in your midst of people humble and lowly well, who are the humble and lowly are the poor the destitute the downtrodden those who are suffering and and are seeking freedom they're hungry for the things of the lord yeah, and we're going to see that remnant does remain in Second Kings, Second uh, Kings chapter twenty-five. We've looked at this before. Second Kings chapter twenty-five, Jerusalem burns in chapter twenty-five verse eight. Okay, verse oh, sorry, verse nine. He burned the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the house of Jerusalem. Every great house he burned, and all that the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down the walls around Jerusalem. And the rest of the people who were left in the city. And The deserters who deserted the king of Babylon together with the rest of the multitude, Nevezard and the captain of the guard carried into exile. But the captain of the guard left some of the poorest of the land to be vine dressers and plowmen. There it is. Finally, the Jubilee is going to be going to be celebrated, which is what Second Chronicles chapter 36 says: that the land would enjoy its Sabbaths, right? And the people the people, the vine dressers, the gardeners, right? Those who are living like Adam before the fall, tilling and keeping the garden of the Lord, are left in the land. And that's that's the prophecy which is given. Why is this so important? Is Jesus is going to come and minister to the poor, to the suffering, to the downtrodden, to the blind, to the lame, to the to all of these who find themselves under under the yoke of an of a foreign power, if you will, whether it be the yoke of the Romans or the yoke of the of the rulers of the Jews. Or the yoke of the evil one, right? Our bodily illnesses, our blindness, our paralysis, and so forth, these are marks of and remnants of results of the fall, in which the evil one gained dominion over mankind. We're not supposed to be like that. Now, to those in our in our audience who are suffering from blindness, hello, Father Hezekiah, okay, or paralysis. Now, Jesus is going to come and, and, and take us and show us a way he doesn't reject what we've made what we've done with ourselves. he takes us and loves us in our in the moment and restores us to the relationship with him reminding us of our former ways in which mankind walked away from the, the Lord remind us not to do that again yeah and so and so the covenant relationship which always has that mark of the fall still remains there for us remembering to always keep our, keep our eyes, the eyes of our soul on the Lord. Our feet walking in the way of the Lord. Every time we stumble or struggle. It's a remembrance for us to remain faithful to walk in the ways of the Lord. That's, I'm getting a little bit far afield. But you can, you can see here now this, this um, the, the words coming out in the gospel. I will leave a hum- people humble and lowly. They will take refuge in the name of the Lord, the remnant of Israel. They shall do no wrong speak no lies nor shall there be found in their mouths a deceitful tongue they shall pasture and couch their flocks with none to disturb them no be peace yeah and um i got a beautiful quote here from saint theodoret of Sire. i am aware that some commentators understood this text to apply to the return from babylon and the renovation of jerusalem and i do not contradict their words so I, I love this. I love the church fathers. Yes, the prophecy applies to to these this remnant, right? and the people that will return. And I do not contradict their words. The prophecy applies also to what happened at that time. but you can you can find a more exact outcome in the incarnation of our Savior. Then it was that he healed the oppressed in heart, in the washing of regeneration. Then it was that he renewed human nature, loving us so much as to give his life for us. After all, greater love than this no one can show then for one to lay down one's life for one's friend and again god so loved the world as to give his only begotten son so that everyone believing in him might not be lost but may have eternal life okay mm-hmm. so this is so zephaniah in the context of what's going on now just like last year last week we talked about the context uh, uh, in isaiah and in, in even going back to the book of judges which maybe we can look at again today it's in that context that the lord lives he lives in a post babylonian exile society who still says in their hearts nehemiah behold we are slaves and oppressed when is the lord going to act to give us a king to declare the jubilee year and give us freedom so that we can celebrate the passover and live once again in the light of the lord yeah okay yeah i'm sorry i kind of well no
1: i mean it's a great link to to the gospel and i mean I mean, as if, um, you know, the church listening to St. Theodore of Sire, um, you know, just to make sure that we see the link between the first reading and the gospel, we have the responsorial Psalm, uh, the response being, blessed are the poor in spirit, the kingdom of heaven is theirs.
0: Mm, So, oh, I thought Jesus was making up the Beatitudes. Oh, (laughs) so nice on the Mount of Beatitudes, Jesus gave such a nice homily. No, he's quoting the scriptures and saying, today, it's happening now, right? And no, notice the response a Psalm, Psalm 146. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. We talked about the kingdom of heaven last week, Annie, right? Yeah. About Jesus going up to the north and yeah. how uh, the, the people that sat in darkness, right? Naphtali and Zebulun sat in darkness because of the Assyrian oppression have seen a great light. And now Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Yeah. Now, we have this connection now. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. What do we know about the poor in spirit? Why why, why are the poor in spirit blessed? I mean, wouldn't you want to be rich in the spirit? Right. Wouldn't the rich in spirit be those that have the kingdom of heaven? Right? Who's, what do we know about poor people? Someone who's poor. Someone who's uh, who, who doesn't have. What does that person want? they want to have thank you yeah (laughs) they're hungry yeah so so don't it's this is not oh preferential treatment for the downtrodden no it's because here's a person who actually wants what is right he's saying i can't live like this under these god forsaken kings anymore Give me the king of righteousness that I might live in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Listen, the kingdom of heaven in Psalm 146, what is he talking about? He's talking about God's kingdom on earth, which is what the Davidic kingdom is supposed to be. Those who are living according to the law of God, the citizens of God's kingdom, who make the law of God the first law of their land, unlike, unlike the kings of the Jews who had not celebrated the Passover and observed the law of God. Because if they had, they would have done the things that the law said, which would have granted freedom to these poor who are suffering in spirit. But now because they're hungry and they want the law in their life, they want the Lord in their life, they want a relationship with the only one who can give them freedom. Now they're going to be given the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of heaven is ultimately the church on earth. Do not think, oh, there's the kingdom of David. There's the church. There's the kingdom of heaven, different things. These are all one reality because God is his kingdom. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living in relationship from all eternity in whose image and likeness we are made. This is what the Davidic kingdom was supposed to bring about. A kingdom ruled by the king of all. In whose, whose king is living in the image and likeness of the king of all. Living according to the law and not enslaving his brother, but granting freedom to his brother. Does that make sense, Any? And then Israel becomes a light to the nations. Okay. Shall we do the gospel? Are you hungry in spirit? Yeah. Because if you're hungry in spirit, the Lord's going to make and manifest the kingdom around you. Are you hungry for the ways of the Lord? Be careful what you say about that. Are you hungry for the ways of God? Are you wanna be a citizen of his kingdom? Because look out, there's a big responsibility when you say yes to that, okay? It means a whole change of life, a newness of how I approach myself, how I approach the Lord, how I approach my brother. We're gonna get into that now in the, uh, in, in the gospel
1: yep and it's uh matthew chapter five starting in verse one let me know when
0: you're ready father i'm ready yeah matthew chapter oh, maybe i said i'm ready because i turned my piece of paper over but um, <laughs> no i'm gonna actually open matthew matthew's
1: matthew's a lot easier to find than zephaniah
0: so yeah you should be a like matthew it's in the new testament catholics okay here we go chapter five all right when i'll try
1: to read a little less lectery this time We'll see. We'll see if I can do
0: it. You know, what we should do sometime.
1: Blessed are the poor in spirit. Yeah? yeah, something like that.
0: I should chant the gospel for you.
1: Oh, that'd be the cool. Way,
0: the way the way we in the you know in the old in the old rite in the old in the old Tridentine Mass. Yeah. The epistle they and chanted. gospel were yeah. were sung in the high yeah. mass, right? Same in the Byzantine liturgy. The gospel is sung. And I encourage, by the way, I know there's some deacons out there and so forth and priests that do watch this. Sing the gospel because singing has an ability to dive to the deepest part of the soul the fastest and adhere there. You want the gospel message to go into the heart of your your people? Sing it, Hmm. you know?
1: Do you sing in English or do you have a different language in liturgy?
0: All right, I'm singing the gospel. Okay. Okay. Let us attend blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy blessed are the poor in heart for they shall see God blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so men persecuted the prophets who were before you now I have a cold I apologize my voice is a little bit crackling horse but there it is. that was beautiful okay well there it is now we've gone from crazy to even crazier in the gospel reflections oh was a lot oh, better than me
1: going into uh mode i guess <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go. let's dive into this first of all, all right. um tell us about this mountain where this is taking place
0: all right this is the sea of galilee we'll pull up a map here you can see the Sea of Galilee. You can see now the the west coast of the Sea of Galilee and the city of Capernaum. And then this area, Mount of Beatitudes. Now, you have to realize that Jesus' ministry in the Sea of Galilee was not a big area for the most part. Yes, he traveled. He got in his boat. He went across the other side and somewhere like that. The majority of the time he spent was in Capernaum and the surrounding areas. So you, so you have to kind of get into the story and see that as he's walking along the side of the sea or the lake, Lake Gennesaret. It's called a lake. It's called a sea. It's a big lake, but it's a small sea. Okay. (laughs) You can see to the other side and there is the Mount of Beatitudes. You can stand in Capernaum and you can see the Mount of Beatitudes. Okay. And it's not directly. It's a little South and up on the Hill. Okay. But there it is. And you can, you, you know, as you're reading the gospel, you have to allow the gospel to kind of come out for you if you know the area. So in, in, in chapter four, verse 13, leaving Nazareth, that's Nazareth is, oh, I don't know, about a day and a half, day's journey or so up uh, toward the west from Capernaum, southwest. And then he goes to dwell in Capernaum, which is right there on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. And then he walks by the sea in verse 18. In verse 23, it says he goes about all Galilee. So here he's cruising around, hitting other places. Well, Matthew doesn't get explicit too much at this point of what he's doing. But if you go to Mark, the Gospel of Mark, you can see it, it brings out the stories a little bit more. In in Mark chapter 1, verse 16 and following, you'll see the calling of the apostles, mm-hmm. just like we saw just in Matthew, right? Right. And then in verse 21 says he went to Capernaum. So in Matthew, it just says he goes about all Galilee. But here he gives him a particular case in which he goes to Capernaum. And in Capernaum, he goes to the synagogue. Where am I? Verse, yeah, verse 21. He goes to the synagogue, verse 23, he goes to the synagogue, he meets a demoniac. He drives out the demons. Okay. And then in verse 29 and following, he goes to Peter's house and heals his mother-in-law. Well, Peter's house, you walk out of the synagogue in you can go there today. And the, the there's remnants of the of the synagogue that was it's like first, second century. It's not the synagogue Jesus stood in, but it's built on the same foundation. Hmm. Okay, so the the pattern is there, it's all there. It's just that they rebuilt it. The walls. Okay. And so you walk out of the synagogue, and Peter's house is like right there. I mean, literally, I don't know how to compare it to. It's on your front door from the from your front door to your to the road in front of your house. Wow. He walks out, and then having done that, he says, verse 35. And he in the morning. In the morning, a great while before day, he rose and went to a lonely place. And there he prayed. Okay. Now, you have to realize out of Peter's house, you're looking like a block away. It's not very far. It's just like right there, not even a block, is the sea. Like you can see the you can see the sea is right there. That says he went to a lonely place. Well, we know where this lonely place was. It was a little cave. He loved to go to this little cave and pray there and and there's little there's like wood seating in that cave today it's still there you can go see it and it actually seats like 13 people believe it or not i've sat there with 13 people it's amazing and it overlooks the sea he loved to go there the lonely place either he's there or he's just down the hill from that at the sea where the calling of the apostles took place there's a number of springs there a lot of trees and cover he loved to kind of retreat to that place it's right above that is the Mount of Beatitudes now today? The church, we're just going to pull up here. You can see the church and the Mount of Beatitudes on this hill. It's up on the top, but notice just below, there's this kind of swale in the land. You see that? Okay, mm-hmm. this is most likely where Jesus preached the Beatitudes. Why? Because it's a natural amphitheater, and what happens? Most people think, "Oh, Jesus, go get on the high place, He go, go up on the hill and preach down at people." No. Yeah. Most likely, he stood down at the base of this swale, right? And at the top of it now is that church at uh, this natural auditorium. Mm. And the wind from the sea comes off that, that thing. And you can do that today. You stand there and you can speak and your voice is carried up over. So when the thousands and thousands gathered here, Jesus is preaching without a microphone, not because he's God, he is, but but they could hear him <laughs> because the wind. Okay. Cool. So there it is. That's so cool. where he's at. He's up on the Mount of Beatitudes and he gives this thing as kind of an instruction here in the Gospel of Matthew for his closest apostles that are going to now go out on mission. So, in chapter, if we're in Matthew chapter five, you have to read Matthew chapter five in light of chapter six and seven and eight and nine and 10. There's your five through 10 and 10 he finally sends them out so from 5 to 10 he's basically giving them a bunch of catechesis about what it means to be one of his disciples and then they bec- and then he sends them out as apostles or right? those who are sent in chapter 10. so this is their time of school this is their you know what do you want to call it uh you know the the soldiers go to the boot camp right this is oh, boot-, boot camp that's yeah. what the Beatitudes are and uh and I hope that's and you are and there it is you are a light of the world a city set on hill cannot be hid going back now to these themes that we were picking up last week from isaiah from the book of judges and so forth a light to the people that sat in darkness how are these people in darkness the romans are oppressing them the herodians are oppressing them the rulers of the jews are oppressing them and ultimately the demoniacs are oppressing them and we have people laying on the streets legs that can't walk eyes that can't see ears that can't hear, mouths that can't talk, and Jesus is going to come as the king, and he's going to set his kingdom in order. Jesus isn't going around as some circus man doing all these tricks. He, he is the one who is setting his, his, his where he sees something wrong in his, in his kingdom, he puts it in order, because the evil one has gotten everything disheveled in the kingdom of God on earth. Right. And now Jesus, who is the king, is the Christ, is going to go about setting it in order. That's why Jesus is going about doing what he's doing, revealing himself to be the one who they expected. And ultimately, after the Babylonian exile never came. Right. This is why, by the way, in Matthew, chapter 11, Matthew, chapter 11. He says in verse four. And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead. Boom. Jubilee here. Right?
1: Yeah.
0: Right. And this is why Jesus says what he says here in this gospel. Okay.
1: Okay. So speaking of the kingdom, let's talk about these Beatitudes. Can you take us through them? What do they mean? And why are are these particular um shall we call them traits yeah. characteristics why are need, these so it, important for the king?
0: ultimately it all goes back to what we are saying about the about uh, psalm 146 okay and that is that those who are hungry or those that are poor those that are oppressed are hungry right and we read the beatitudes in all the wrong manner i think in that we they're they're pious Statements by Jesus. Oh, isn't that sweet? No, Jesus isn't come to affirm us in our slavery. He's come to free us from slavery. He hasn't come to dialogue with death and sin. He's come to confront it and destroy it. He hasn't come to understand adultery and come to terms with homosexuality and understand. You know, no. And so I turn to the former Archbishop of Galilee, Elias Shakur, who spoke at the ICC a couple of times. You can look up his talk, Blood Brothers, at the Institute of Catholic Culture. Elias Shakur was a young boy in 1948 when the so-called State of Israel was established and the Palestinians were driven out of their homes and he writes his book blood brothers he's working for peace ever since then in the holy land you can listen to his talk at the icc but he wrote a second book called we belong to the land in which he covers a lot of stuff he covered in his first book but he's got some other things in there too and one of them is his exegesis of the beatitudes and being that he's from the holy land he had a a sense a taste of 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 the gospel in, in a way that you and i don't. You know, the, the, oftentimes, the Holy Land is spoken of as the fifth gospel, because it reveals in a new way the word of God. Anyways, in his, in his book, We Belong to the Land, he says this. <laughs> Knowing Aramaic, the language of Jesus, has greatly enriched my understanding of Jesus's teachings. Because the Bible, as we know it, is a translation of a translation. We sometimes get a wrong impression. For example, we are accustomed to hearing the Beatitudes expressed passively. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Blessed is a translation of the word makaroi used in the Greek New Testament. However, when I look further back in Jesus' Aramaic, I find that the original word was ashray, from the verb yashar. Ashray does not have a passive quality to it at all. Instead, it means to set yourself on the right way for the right goal, to turn around, to repent, to become straight and righteous. Metanoia in the Greek. Yeah. How could I go to a persecuted young man in a Palestinian refugee camp, for instance, and say, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Or blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of justice, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That man would revile me, saying neither I nor my God understood his plight. He would be right. When I understand Jesus' words in the Aramaic, I translate like this. Get up. Go ahead. Do something. Move you who are hungry and thirsty for justice, for you shall be satisfied. God will not. If you're hungry, God's not going to leave you abandoned. Get get up. Go ahead. Do something. Move, you peacemakers, for you shall be called children of God. To me, this reflects Jesus' words and teachings much more accurately. I can hear him saying, get up. Get your hands dirty to build a human society for human beings. Otherwise, others will torture and murder the poor, the voiceless, and the powerless. Christianity is not passive, but active, energetic, alive, going beyond despair. Get up, Christians. Do something for God's sake. Now, I'm going to blow off a little energy here regarding situations that I see, even in my own parish, in which people come. To fulfill an obligation, if they come at all, on Sunday, they enjoy their coffee hour and they go home. This is not the church of Jesus Christ. If you are into coming to the low mass as fast as you can get it, you get up. I go to early mass because there's no music. And I get out of the parking lot before anyone else does. After I receive communion, to the car. You're not a Christian. It's time that Christians start acting like Christians, otherwise they will re, re, they, they will, they, they will lose their nature. Now, don't push me on that because you know the mark of inf you know, the mark of baptism. Is, okay, look. It's time that Christians get up and start acting like Christians. And how do Christians act? Here it is in the Beatitudes given to us. We are restored in the image and likeness of God. These are this is this is the law of God given to us in the Beatitudes, in how we interact with those around us, how we act toward the Lord, and how we act toward one another. And now the, the Zephaniah's background makes all the difference in the world. The world he's living in, in which there are those who claim to be Jews who are not living like Jews, but living like Pharaoh. Are you living like a Christian or are you living like Pharaoh? Are you living like a Christian or are you living like a godless heathen secularist? Would anybody, your neighbor, your your job, your boss, anybody know that you're a Christian? When you sit down, when you go to the bank and you review your finances with your financial advisor, if you have a financial advisor, do they know you're a Christian? Do they say, Bob, are you sure? Am I looking at your taxes, right? Did you give 10% 100%? of everything you made last year to the church? Bob, that's a lot of money. Are you living like a Christian? Or are you living like a heathen? The law of God, the kingdom of heaven, that Jesus has come to incorporate into is real. And it makes a difference in how we live, how we eat, how we sleep, where we go, who we make friends with that's it and stop uh, then we start treating stop treating the church like I always say a vending machine and start treating it like the kingdom of heaven on earth which it is a place in which I live in relationship with my brothers and sisters this is my home I live I have a house yes but I have a home and it's my church and that's where my brothers and sisters are that's who I love that's who I've been called to serve and give my life for and then when I start living like that with the kingdom of heaven present here now in my midst. Then I get up and I get my hands dirty. Christianity is not passive. It is active, energetic, alive, going beyond despair. Going beyond asking for mercy and living out the merciful gift of God's love within our hearts. Yes, it begins in mercy, asking for mercy. It begins there. But it must end in the kingdom living in the kingdom here and now the church of god the kingdom of god on earth can i get an amen amen i gotta I mean, get off my
1: hobby I horse. Say we we really do i mean so how often do we just take the christian life up to a certain line and and we don't go any further than that
0: well as long as it doesn't affect my life right i mean okay i go to church on sunday Other than that, Lord, don't get too close, Mm -hmm. right? I'm gonna. Well, even at church, I mean, like, hey, I got a
1: football game to go to or to to watch after this. I gotta wear my jersey to church, you know, like that kind of stuff too.
0: I was at mass one time, and the priest said, "Don't worry, we'll get this show over as quickly as possible." Because I know the Super Bowl football game is on this afternoon. You want to get home? Yeah.
1: There were probably like ten people in the pews too.
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna share with you a quotation from Saint chromatius and then pope benedict Ooh, i think they're in good nice. company jesus taught that we must seek after righteousness with earnest desire not with faint heart- faint-hearted energy indeed he calls those persons blessed who in their search for righteousness virtually burn with passionate longing in their hunger and thirst For if each one of us really hungers and thirsts for righteousness with eager desire, we can do nothing else but think and seek after righteousness. It is necessary that we eagerly desire that for which we hunger and thirst. Do you eagerly hunger for the kingdom of God in your life? Because it's going to completely transform everything you do. Or be a little afraid, keep it at arm's distance, right? willing to wear my cross around my neck, but please don't put it in my heart, Pope Benedict. Are we not perhaps all afraid in some way if we let Christ enter fully into our lives? If we open ourselves totally to him, are we not afraid that that he might take something away from us? Are we not perhaps afraid to give up something significant, something unique, something that makes life so beautiful? Do we not then risk ending up diminished and deprived of our freedom? No. If we let Christ into our lives, we lose nothing, absolutely nothing, of what makes life free, beautiful and great. No. Only in this friendship are the doors of life opened wide. Only in this friendship is the great potential of human existence truly revealed. Only in this friendship do we experience beauty and liberation. And so... Today, with great strength and conviction, on the basis of a long personal experience of life, I say to you, do not be afraid of Christ. He takes nothing away. He gives you everything. When we give ourselves to him, we receive a hundredfold in return. Yes, open, open, wide the doors of Christ, and you will find true life.
1: That made me tear up,
0: Father now Pope Benedict and please can we stop calling him Pope Emeritus Benedict
1: oh yeah absolutely he's no
0: longer Pope Emeritus okay he's Pope Benedict (laughs) Pope Benedict the 16th all right
1: oh man um
0: let's take a look at our epistle today
1: yeah I mean I think the epistle falls right in line with with what you've been saying here father so we're in St. Paul's I hope it does (laughs) first Corinthians chapter one verses 26 through 31 are you ready
0: first Corinthians chapter one
1: all right here we go go ahead go ahead consider your own calling brothers and sisters not many of you were wise by human standards not many were powerful not many were of noble birth rather God chose the foolish of the world to shame the wise and God chose the weak of the world to shame the strong And God chose the lowly and despised of the world, those who count for nothing, to reduce to nothing those who are something, so that no human being might boast before God. It is due to him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, as well as righteousness, sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, Whoever boasts
0: should boast in the Lord. I am going to turn us back to Judges chapter 6, which we looked at last week. The Midianites. Remember, we we read oh, yeah. this in Isaiah chapter 8. Mm-hmm. It's verse 36. I can't remember. Okay. And remember the story of the Midianites. We talked about last week that the Midianites way outnumbered God's people. And Gideon, who's supposed to lead them, says, Lord, we're we got nothing we can't win this battle. They're way outnumbering us. They're going to attack us, and we're going to die. Well, of course, the Lord says, Gideon, please, lest you think that you win battles because you have enough guys, I want you to start sending guys home. And he starts sending sending groups of guys home. Get them out of the camp. We got too many people in the camp. No, not not, not too little. No, we got too many. And he whittles them down to 300 people, 300 soldiers, right? You know the story. is here yeah. in Judges chapter 6. And, and then he says, okay, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to give each man a trumpet and give each man a torch. And over that torch, put a, a clay jar, right? And I want you to go in the middle of the night and circle the Midian camp. And so, and, and then, of course, they got thousands and thousands of the Midian camp. 300 guys are on the edge. And then when you get the sign, bang, break the clay jar and blow the trumpets. And now the light comes out, right? Okay. The, the torches come out. The Midianites see all these torches surrounding everywhere they look. There's a torch. They don't realize it's just 300 guys. And then they don't have any swords or anything. And, and, uh, well, they had swords, but I mean, you know, okay. And then all the Midianites are slain. Okay. So. I bring that back to you regarding this, this business in this, in this epistle and regarding the gospel account that, that we talked about repentance last week. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this image of the clay jar has been with me all week, which is why I had to bring it back up. That clay jar is more than a clay jar. It represents us who have received the light of God through baptism into our hearts. And what's stopping that light from shining out? What's stopping it? It's it's the it's our humanity yoked to sin, right? We we're not transparent, if you will, right? We we're, we're not clear because we're all muddied yeah. up, yeah, with our sins. Which is why repentance is critically important. The clay the clay the clay jar has to be broken, and it's only when the clay jar is broken that the light of God can shine. So I, I got I to turn again to that kingdom of heaven, citizens, of the kingdom. Are you willing for the clay jar to be broken in your life? You know, are you willing to let God's light shine out so that you can say it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me? Then it will be not your wisdom. It'll be the wisdom of the Lord. Not because you've become smart, but because it's his wisdom that is within you. Listen to St. John Chrysostom, and we can finish with this. God did not make us wise, righteous, and holy in Christ. He gave us Christ so that we should never need anything else for our salvation. In other words, He didn't make you holy and righteous and and so forth, right? He allowed God to dwell within you. So that it wasn't your foolishness and 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 so forth that was that became glorious. It was your clay jar that was broken so that God could come out and share the light which he's placed in your heart. Break the clay jar. Go to holy confession and enter once into the kingdom of God to become a citizen and live according to the laws of God. And that law of God is the law of love. And the law of love is always self-giving, is self-sacrificial. It is not who I live, who live, but Christ who lives in me. No greater love has any man than to give his life for his friend. This is what a Christian is. He's one who lays down his life. His time is everything. He can't get out. He can't leave mass and run out to a car to get out of the thing because that's not what Christians do. He seeks communion so that he might share his life. He establishes the church on earth through his efforts because it is the kingdom of God, which is the purpose of the created order in the beginning. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, And sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.